Leslie Priscilla is a first-generation non-Black Chicana mother to three bicultural children. She is a descendant of Indigenous Tarahumara, Raramuri, and Spanish lineages, who has resided on occupied Tongva and Hashimin land, also known as Orange County, California, all of her life. Leslie shares her medicine by offering coaching, workshops, support and advocacy for Latinx, Chicanx families locally, nationally, and internationally, both in person and online via the Latinx Parenting Organization. She founded this bilingual organization and movement intentionally rooted in children's rights, social and racial justice, the individual and collective practice of nonviolence and reparenting, intergenerational and ancestral healing, cultural sustenance, and the active decolonization of oppressive practices in our families. Formerly an early childhood teacher and one-on-one -on -one behavioral coach, Leslie has worked with children and families for over 14 years. She has a dual degree in child development and family studies, as well as family life education from Cal State University Long Beach, and attended the Masters in Social Work program at Cal State Fullerton before pausing to focus on her babies and the Latinx parenting movement. She is, a tr she is trained as a facilitator in various parent education curricula, including trauma-informed nonviolent parenting, positive discipline, supporting fatherhood involvement, community parent education, and others. She has facilitated groups in both Spanish and English for hundreds of parents in schools, transitional homes, teen shelters, drug rehabilitation centers, and family resource centers throughout Orange County, California. Over the years, Leslie has worked within mental health agencies in physicians serving as interim director of parent education for the Child Abuse Prevention Center in Orange County, youth and professional programs manager for NAMI in Orange County, and as a consultant for the Dads Matter program of Children's Bureau. Okay, y'all. I've just got one recommendation before you, we start this episode, and that's for you to go ahead and grab a notebook or a journal and a pen or a pencil to take notes because Leslie is about to drop a lot of wisdom, a lot of insight and perspective, and you're going to want to come back to this. So go ahead and get pause if you need to, go grab your stuff, grab some tea, and sit back, enjoy the show. I hope you guys gain as much as I did. I really felt so inspired after my conversation with her. I felt like I could do anything. It was like, it was just such an incredible feeling. And I'm just so grateful to Leslie and the work that she is doing in the world. It's a gift to know that people like her are out there um, really embodying this what's needed for this liberation of all beings and I am just so excited to share this episode with you all so go get your notepad go get your tea your coffee whatever beverage you are you know fancy and enjoy the show Leslie Priscilla welcome to the decolonizing healthcare podcast thank you I'm so happy to be here thank you so much it's such an honor to have you on the show, um, and I can't wait to dive into all the things with you. But before we begin, I'm curious how you would introduce yourself to the audience. Thank you for that. Um, I first want to say that I'm a mother. I, I'm, I have three little ones who are just about to turn 12. Um, I have a six-year-old, and I have a four-and-a-half-year-old. 
Um, and so I identify as a mama, as a Chicana mother, as a child of immigrants, um, as a liberation worker, as a human being who feels what other human beings feel, um, as a child advocate, and I'm also a parent coach. I work with a lot of mamas and papas and parents and caregivers um, who want something better for their kids. Mm. Well, it's so beautiful. I, I feel your heart in all of that. And um, and it's truly inspiring what you're doing. And you are the founder of the Latinx uh, parent, Parenting Organization, correct? Can you share a little bit more about your organization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I founded it because there wasn't anything that existed like it. And I felt like it was very much needed to have a space where we could talk about the intersections of culture and parenting. I think when I became a mom 12 years ago, I really lacked having a resource like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would read the parenting books and I just couldn't see my family in them, right? I would be like, this is really great sounding. And also I don't necessarily see myself handing this over to my cousins, my mom. <laughs> like, I don't know how to, I'm a child of immigrants. My parents are from Mexico. Um, and so my parents were raised in very different ways than I would want to raise my children, right? So intergenerationally, there's been um, a lot of changes made even by my parents, but I just felt like I wanted something to represent a lot of those inter intergenerational uh, dynamics in Latinx families specifically. And so I built Latinx Parenting, very much wanting to focus on Latinx families. I had been working with parents for years before that. I had been a parent educator and at one point was teaching like seven to eight parenting classes a week um, and was in the mental health world for a very long time, the nonprofit industry for a very long time. Uh, and before that, I was a teacher. So I've always been very interested in parent-child dynamics, right? And, and even as a teacher with relationship with children, I, I just knew that there was so much potential um, for the ways that we engaged with them to really make a difference. So I think parenting met my need. Right. And it also since then, since 2018, has been meeting uh, that need for the integration of culture into our parenting dynamics. So that's a little bit about Latinx parenting. I offer workshops and coaching and um, all kinds of resources and support offerings that hopefully are supportive. Yeah. Wow. I mean, even when I was diving into even just the website, I was just seeing so many resources and book recommendations and podcasts and free workshops and community gatherings. And what I love about what you're doing is, um, is really also bringing it into the physical and, and doing, you know, really localized place-based healing. And, um, and to me, I feel like that's, what's um, missing so much in, in especially this world of coaching or, um, um, you know, in trainings and whatnot, everything we've kind of diverted just to everything virtual and, and when we're talking about these dynamics, it's like families and, and unlearning, like there has to be some physical element, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that that's something that I've been very excited about is coming back into that physical space with folks. Um, there's this invitation that I have for people when we do do any virtual spaces where I ask that everybody turns their cameras on. Um, because for a long time, we were just so comfortable just not seeing anybody's faces. And I'm like, no, 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 we have to actually feel as much as possible as if we are in physical space because there is so much power 
to being in space with one another, um, even if it's virtual, right? Even if it's virtual, but if we have our cameras on and we are all, you know, in community and we're sharing intentions, there's, there's a lot of power in that. Absolutely. And, um, and, and also when you're doing such powerful work as to, you know, really, I guess, um, challenging, uh, structures of power and, um, and even, you know, unlearning the ways in which and, and reckon, reckoning with the ways in which, you know, our family coping strategies and the, these like adaptations um, from all of this trauma have caused so much harm. Right. And so that really does seem to require ongoing integration. And and I, I love that you're really aware of that. Yeah, I think that um, we I, as Latina people or Latinx people, um it's been easy for us to be absorbed by those systems, right? I think that it's been a choice that a lot of us have had to make for our survival. I think certainly like my mom had to uh, integrate into white supremacy, you know, by marrying this white Latino man, we have this like phrase of like mejorar la raza. And so, you know, the systems of white supremacy, um, capitalism, patriarchy, and then religious oppressive dogma is really what I try to address as the root of, a lot of those adaptations um, mm-hmm. that we've had to make. So those adaptations I call chancla culture when it comes to the parent-child dynamic, because we've normalized this idea of being power over children. And the more universal emblem for that, at least in my culture, is la chancla, right? So right. we talk a lot about um, how that's been normalized and how we uh, we really feel a sense of belonging in it, actually. Like there's a lot of needs that are met for us in being able to say, yes, this is my culture, right? But there's so many implications also. And so I think my work really seeks to unpack those and untangle them and and do it in a way that's gentle and that's non-shaming and that really, you know, we can kind of just sift through it, see what see what's there once we sift through it, um, and then be very intentional and very conscious about the way that we move forward in relationship with our kids. Um, in a way, again, non-shaming, right? Because I feel like a lot of times when you invite people to reflect and to take responsibility and ownership for our own participation of those systems, um, a lot of shame emerges for us. And so a big part of what I do is like remind people, you know, we're, we're trying, right. And we're not going to heal 500 years of colonization in this one lifetime. Like what we're doing is planting seeds and that's valid and beautiful and valuable. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. What you just said right there. um, We're not going to heal this in one lifetime is just, that is real. And, and also even, um, speaking to the, like this non-linear path of healing that I feel, um, we really need to start recognizing that like, oh, you're like, oh, I think I've done this work. I've, I've gone to my therapist. I've, I've been here. I've done this. And then it keeps cycling back, right? Like it's the spiral. And so it's to, to just kind of, recognize that like no it's 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 never done and like you said it's going to be our daughters our sons um continuing on carrying it on forward right yeah yeah and I I think even this morning I like broke down in my partner's arms because I was just like it's too big like this beast these systems are too big um and I was really feeling that you know because there's there's so much hurt out there and I live in Santana um, California and we're about 78% Latino here and Mm -hmm. just seeing the families you know just seeing how there's there's so much struggle and there's so much grief to be had 
um, and to be processed in a, in a gentle way, right? Like I see my work cut out for me when I look yeah, around in my just city. just right like, there. Yeah, just right there. I mean, even without looking outside of the, these man-drawn borders, um, yeah. you see it, you know, and, and there's a lot of uh, unhoused people in my area specifically as well. And so knowing how to approach those issues and then also knowing how to guide my children in understanding of those issues um, is something that is laborious, right? So I think for a lot of us parents, we're engaging, especially the kind of parents that we're trying to be, where we're able to give context to our kids, there's a lot of labor involved. Um, And with that labor requires a lot of care for one another, right? It requires a lot of uh, connection and community. And so, yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of work to do, but then there's also a lot of hope in those of us that are sharing in those intentions again. Right. And I, and I think that, you know, you touching on that, um, that work you're doing just right there again, you know, in your community and building community, you know, like you just said, that's necessary that we have community um, on this path. And, and I feel that that's kind of the only way to get through, because that's where you can actually potentially see the fruits of your labor, right? Yeah. Like you're, it is so laborious and, um, and, and what I, and one thing I, you know, I'm curious your feelings about, but, um, you know, so the show is decolonizing healthcare and, and one of the reasons I guess why I love you so much and, and what you, everything you're doing is because I feel like what you're doing around parenting, um, really is encompassing of all of it. Like it's, you're kind you've like gone to the root, <laughs> you know, and, to the root. And, and that's one of the things, you know, even like in healthcare, we can look at our fragmented healthcare system that we really just patch symptoms. And we really, um, this Western, you know, Eurocentric approach to health is, is very uh, driven in that way rather yeah. than, you know, preventative care or, um, or really getting to the root cause. And so, yeah. um, how do, how do you see your work intersecting with health and impacting uh, the trajectory of our healthcare system. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I guess just when to start there, I'm curious how you feel about that. I see this work as health equity work, right? I see liberation work, what you're doing, you know, what so many of us are doing in our respective fields as liberation work is health equity work. Mm-hmm. Um, for me in the work that I do with parents and caregivers specifically, it's, it is prevention work also, right? And so we're preventing adversity as much as possible for our children, adversity that their nervous systems may not be able to handle, right? We're not going to prevent our children from every challenge in their lives. Um, And there are many things that we can do to give them a sense of safety and a sense of belonging, right? And those things are preventative, right? Those are uh, what they call protective factors, right? Community, culture, these things are are helpful for a child to be able to grow up and experience a lot less of the negative effects of what the opposite is, right? And the opposite is lots of trauma, lots of adversity coming from either the adults that are in your household or the adults that are in your community, in your school, right? Because I think teachers also often harm. Um, And so it trickles down, right? So when you said it goes down to the root, it's, it's the way that we're raising children that makes all of the difference between whether you know we have a healthy society or not Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that there's a lot of investment from those systems for us to not have a healthy society I see it as paradigmatic right it's an entire paradigm 
that banks on our children growing up stressed, sick, and disconnected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's infuriating. (laughs) And it's infuriating to know that um, the focus is not on prevention. And I get this all the time when I'm approaching a social services agency, for example, like I have to sell my value so much because people don't see, they don't understand the connection between parenting, right? They think that it's just something that you, I don't know, like everyone can parent, right? And it's like, well, yeah, everybody can parent. And also there's a lot of things that stress parents out that make it extremely difficult for them to parent children in a way that is healthy in every domain, Mm -hmm. right? The physical domain, the mental domain, the emotional domain, um, and the spiritual domain also, because that's a part of it, you know, to be um, spiritually well is something that we want to prioritize. Um, And that I just, you know, define as being connected to something outside of yourself um, and to humanity and to the earth, right? So um, we know that prevention of trauma um, and a focus on like healing centered ways of being and engaging with one another and with our children, we know that's good for the human being, right? We know that um, grief processing is something that would aid in preventing health issues also. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, and I, I, I think I can talk about this, but my aunt um, passed away in October, actually October 6th. Her birthday was October 7th. I was very close to her. She developed lung cancer about a year and a half ago. And um, her mom, who she was extremely close to, died at the very beginning of the pandemic. It was February 29th that her mother died. She was her best friend. Um, her father had died a few years before that. And so I just knew that my Thea was, you know, dealing with a lot of grief and that in my family, we don't really, we don't really know how to deal with that. Right? I have um, my uncle, one of my other uncles, I asked my mom this because I, I was asking her what he was like. And she said that, you know, he was always funny and boisterous and all of these things. She's like, oh, but when he was about six years old, his uh, best friend drowned in the creek um, that was across from our house. And I was like, how did you, and and this uncle has so many health problems, like so many health problems. He's diabetic. He's getting dialysis every other day. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had just, you know, he's had a real terrible go of it. Yeah. And so I'm really like looking at it, just like what happened? <laughs> what happened yeah. where we are so sick and we are so um, not well And so she's telling me this. And so over the last few years, especially as I've asked more questions, I've just been like, gosh, like it's the, it's the childhood trauma that's not been addressed. It's the grief that's not been processed, you know, and for my aunt, I'm just like, she really didn't have anybody. Her mother died and then everything got shut down. So she didn't see anybody forever. Oh yeah. You know? Um, And so the fact that she developed lung cancer and I, you know, it's correlated, right? Like there's no way for me to prove like it's because of this. But intuitively, I'm like, if there had been a space for her to be able to connect with others and to grieve her losses and to feel less alone, I wonder, right? I wonder what that would have done to her immune system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I see, you know, a lot of the, the invitations I think that I hold for parents as being potentially extremely preventative to disease, to unwellness, to illness all of these things. Um, and we know that, right? Scientifically, we've heard of the ACEs study, the adverse childhood, yeah. adverse childhood experiences study. So we know, right, that we've yeah. been valid, we've been validated, but we've yeah. known this forever, right? right? Indigenous people 
mm -hmm. uh, pre-colonization knew that a child was to be honored, that a child was to collaborate, yeah. right? that a child um, was sacred. And so to me, it's not like this is all new discovery. It's like, oh yeah, we're remembering. We're remembering the ways that we can be well mm -hmm. again. So that was a long-winded answer to your question, but I hope that <laughs> it answered it somewhat. Yeah, absolutely. And and actually to just come back to your Thea's story, like, um, and I'm not sure you're aware of this, but I just want to, this just, just to, to really kind of confirm your intuitive sense that in um, traditional Chinese medicine um, and um, Eastern medicine, lung related issues are connected to grief. So, I, I mean, it's, I am with you and I feel that like, and so I feel that this also this lack of spirituality that um, is um, intentionally severed in our healthcare system, in our education system, and, in, in, you know, like, it, this is all intentional, right? Um, really has, like you said, you know, really disempowered us from understanding and remembering and really remembering because I, I believe, you know, we all it's just about kind of awakening that within all of us because we all have that um, that memory and um, and remembering that connection to to source in some way. And and and, you know, I mean, there's so many things in that story that you shared, but. But I, I agree. I mean, that the lack of the suffer, the unnecessary suffering that went that a lot of people experienced, you know, during the lockdowns when schools were shut down. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I can speak from my own experience at the time I was working in the ICU in Oakland, California, at the Children's Hospital. And there was um, and we saw adult child and adolescent suicide rates like through the roof you know, like attempts, successful. And I had never seen anything like it in my almost eight years working in that ICU. And I kept saying, I mean, and all of us noticed it, right? Like it wasn't, it, but it was also something that I felt like I was the only one who was really um, like so disturbed that I'm like, how can we sit back and allow these policies to continue? Like, what is it, what are we doing about this? And and so this state of fear that continues to be like projected at us in like all of the uh, our media and our families and all of this really has left leaves us paralyzed, you know. And so, um, and who suffers the children, right? And so I I just again really um, really just amplifying your work because this it, it's all part of it, right? And that is how we reclaim our health is through um, healing these wounds, like like you're just doing so beautifully with your clients and your community, like. Um, I, yeah, so I, so all that to say, thank you for sharing that story and, um, you know, many blessings to your family and, and that process, because, um, I can also relate that we, you know, the health issues that I see in my family are also very related to grief. And yeah. it's really interesting to start connecting those dots, like, and, and how I'm curious, like, what are some of the challenges that you have faced in this journey, you know, of um, being a leader in your community, but then also, you know, really shifting like your parenting styles. And I'm curious of some of the challenges you face within your own family dynamics and how yeah. you're kind of navigating that. <laughs> so it was funny because when I, uh, when I went to my Thea services, there were cousins there that I hadn't seen in a very long time. And only a small amount of my cousins, I have 12 aunts and uncles on my mom's side. Um, six aunts, six uncles. Uh, one of them, one of my uncles passed away. 
uh, on my dad's side, I have 10. They're all still in Mexico, mm-hmm. but everybody on my mom's side of the family migrated. So migration also has to do with this, right? And the trauma of assimilation and, and those kinds of things can be very traumatic, which only add to uh, the adversity that our bodies experience right? and that are uh, that are yeah that our cells experience from um, just not being able to kind of move through so when I went to my PS services my one of my cousins asked me um, you know what do you what have you been doing right he, he doesn't follow me on social media I don't know if he knows you know anything about my work or or anything about childhood trauma but he's like what are you doing and my other cousin who does follow she's like she's the chancla girl and so I'm like oh gosh like I don't necessarily want to start talking like I didn't I felt I felt a little bit unprepared to have a conversation with my family members about the work that I do mm-hmm. because I didn't know if I could do it in a way that was you know, not going to be judged, right? Because I'm I'm their prima, like I'm their, <laughs> their little cousin. Right. And so I felt myself just and I and I actually like elbowed a little bit my cousin and I was just like, don't mention it, right? And so I found I I was kind of observing myself and I was like, oh how interesting that I'm actually a little bit worried about how I'm going to be seen in this moment. And I don't necessarily want to talk about it here in this way. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think in my own family and my mom, she gets it, you know, I think she understands that because I've been very clear with her, I'm like, I'm not shaming you. This isn't against you. This isn't, you know, this is actually compassionate because I'm trying to give context to your experience as a brown immigrant woman in this very toxic capitalist system that yeah. you've had to survive. Like, it's no yeah. wonder why we were disconnected. Yes, I'm still dealing with the effects of that, right? Yes, I'm still in therapy. Um, but I hold no shame and no blame on you. I put all the blame on the systems that produce the stress levels Absolutely. that you had to experience. And so I think having multiple conversations with her, because she is a big part of the story that I tell, right? My my primary relationship, parental relationship was with my mom and my dad is another one, but he, um, when I was around nine, he left the house. And so I had much more exposure to being parented by my mom. Um, and so it's not so much with her, but I think it's my extended family where I'm like, I don't know if they are as ready as I would love for them to be. And I actually don't know if I'm the one to kind of come in and say (laughs) all of these things, because I don't know if they can hear me, you know? Um, because again, I'm just like, I just, I want to just engage, right. I don't necessarily want to teach you. And I don't, trust that I wouldn't necessarily be perceived as trying to teach you or tell you what to do. I think that's the case with all parents that I've worked with, actually. Like, I, I immediately want to make sure that people know that it's not the expectation to be a perfect parent. Right? It's not the expectation right. that we um, that we heal immediately. It's actually impossible, right, that we um, heal all of the ancestral wounds, again, <laughs> in these, like, yeah. 80 years, right? It's yeah, uh, it's a big priority for me to just say, like, it's it's okay, right? We can just show up and do our best and um as long as we're reflecting and we have a striving for uh betterment right just betterment so yeah it's been kind of a challenge to just know how to do it with my own family um Mm -hmm. because I also don't I'm not 
as comfortable being as transparent about my experiences with them, right? Because mm-hmm. they had to do with some of those experiences. Yeah. Them. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to say like that when you said, I don't know if it should be coming from me, I was like, yeah, that makes total sense because they're in direct, you know, you're in direct relationship with them around all this stuff that is coming up in your healing and you're actually doing that, that, that shadow work, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. So I'm writing a book right now. Right. And I'm just trying to be very like careful and very uh, intentional. I think about the way that I, that I phrase things. I'm not using names. Right. But I'm talking about how one of my theos commented on my body. Right. And so I'm like, okay, if my theo ends up reading that, like he might know that it's him. Um, another <laughs> yeah. uncle, you know, would wow. like crack crack his belt right to to let us know that like we needed to um I was about to say buckle up but that's a little bit too tongue in, tongue, tongue in cheek um but no I mean these are real experiences right and so I I'm kind of putting myself out there from writing this book where they might have some opinions mm-hmm. about what's in that book right but I also have to be very rooted in my own story and say this is what yeah. I experienced and I'm not making it up and and again I'm not shaming you I'm not blaming you I'm I'm processing and I'm hopefully allowing other people to process too yeah and actually and in, in that process it's kind of like the only way that there is a possibility of finding compassion for that, for, for whatever harm may have been projected at you. Right. And it's like, yeah, I mean, like you just said, it's, it's, it's a needed process that's been avoided, not necessarily um, by choice, by our previous gen, by our parents' generation, but they didn't have, they didn't have that luxury. Right. And, and so I think it's, that's part of, for me, uh, so much of your story, like, you know, really resonates with me too. Cause I, I find that I'm, finding so much more compassion for my mom and for all of these, as I do my own work, because I'm recognizing that. um, And then I'm learning more, you know, as I learn like the stories of what she did, what she's done through other family members, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, how did I not know this? Like, well, you were so courageous. Oh, wow. Like I, you know, and, and so it's really beautiful. I mean, it's, and, and it's, so it's needed, you know? And so, um, and by, and by the way, when is the book coming out and what is it called? Does it have a name yet? It's called, it's called Chancla. Um, It's such a grief inducing experience, Sienna. <laughs> like it's such a, writing this book has been, maybe we could do another episode down the line once I'm done with it. So I can totally. just, like, reflect on it with you. But I, for example, I asked the community on Instagram to share with me some of their experiences of machismo and marianismo. And so for anybody that doesn't know, marianismo is essentially the tendency for women in Latin, Latin American culture to be very submissive, to be very, um, you know, martyring of their themselves and everything to the children and the and the husband, and so it comes yeah. from this machismo, right? This machista um, way of men, <laughs> I will say, right? The men, the men in my families, um, which is, you know, the expectation that women should be all of these things, and that men have to show up very firm, and there's roots for that right the the things that some of the men in my lineage have experienced were brutal and violent and done upon them and so they have had to evolve to be these very tough uh surviving (laughs) beings right and it has allowed them to survive and so again all the compassion for that experience but i'm asking in the community what their experiences are or what examples they can give right of, of 
growing up in this way if they identify as having uh, Latinx lineage. And so I asked one of my um, team members to compile all of the responses. And so I, I had actually probably about equal amounts come in through DMs because people didn't feel safe enough to express it. And so, yeah. you know, we compiled them and I have about 11 pages of responses right now that I've been going through. And I can only go through like five at a time before I have to stop and just go and like walk or something, you know, yeah. go touch, touch some grass or like have a yeah. tree or something because um, I feel it, right? Like I really, really feel it. And so writing the book has been that kind of experience where I'm like, I've had to go so slow and so gentle, which isn't always super aligned with the expectations that my agent has or that the publisher. Has. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, But it's been hard. Like I have found myself not even wanting to engage with it sometimes because mm -hmm. it's, it's so grief ridden. And, um, you know, I'm like, I can't wait to get to like the final chapters where I talk about like the celebration, but I'm like, I have to get through right. what colonization has done to our families. I have to tell you about that. Right. I must like, I'm here to tell you what this horrible event and all the after effects of it has done to our people so that we know how to move forward. Like you have to go through the grief in the morning and the understanding and the acknowledgement and the awareness to get to the visioning, you know, to get to the imagination. And I think colonization partially has also not allowed us to get to those imaginative places, right? We're seeing that right now. It's just like, well, this is just the way it is. I'm like, mm. oh my gosh, that free. <laughs> That's just the way it is. There is nothing that irks me and gets under my skin more than when I hear something, when I hear someone say that, you know, it's, it, but but it all does all come back to this disempowerment right like everyone is feeling so um helpless and and it's like you know we you know we just we need that's why we need community we need those reminders and we need um to be supported and um encouraged like yeah we do have that you know that that fight within us we have that passion we have the imagination and I mean, absolutely. It's funny that you bring up imagination because that was something I was going to um, I was going to ask you about, because in one of your recent posts, you were talking about um, the the third party, right, like voting third party. And I really love that um, because, you know, it resonates with me and I've been, you know, on that kick for a while myself. And um, and and you're right, you know, this lack of imagination that's caused by both parties um, and how it, it really continues to just create this division between what's uh, between us so that we're distracted and not focusing on what's happening. Right. Like with these like puppets masters up here, you know, um, mm -hmm. these elites. And um, and so how does imagine in, in your in the work that you're doing, like how do you um, bring people into that space of imagination, yes. especially when, you know, we're coming from, you know, within like our communities that are there's a lot of huge block there. Like, you know, I mean, I see in my family all the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. So I draw a lot of inspiration from people like Octavia Butler, who does like black futurism. Right. And so I've always thought about like, mm -hmm. what would it look like to have indigenous futurism? And I think a lot of people are starting to have conversations around it and, and being very intentional with their visioning. Um, I think one of the things that has helped is the reparenting framework. So the way that I approach this work is um, through the frameworks of decolonization, uh, nonviolence, and then there's the reparenting framework. And the reparenting framework is broken down um, in three ways, right? Actually, four ways, if you want to 
I'll explain it. So <laughs> the first is to reconnect with the inner child, what I call the inner niña, um, develop a relationship, right? See them as they are, get comfortable with the times that they emerge, understand and discern who's coming up in that moment. Um, and then we have a relationship with ourselves or what I call the inner parent, right? And so that's the discerner, right? So I'm looking at my inner child and I'm saying, who is coming up? Is this actually aligned with who I want to be right now? Or is this an, is this a wound, right? Is this something that comes from even before I was born? And that happens sometimes. I remember in 2020, I was married to my kid's dad and he's he's white and suddenly I felt very unsafe around him. And, and uh, I went to one of my teachers who was my teacher in the reparenting work. And she's like, this may be epigenetic, like this may be ancestral, right? There might mm -hmm. be a lack of safety that you're experiencing um, that's in your actual genetics. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Cause I had never up until that point really felt unsafe around him. Um, and then our politics started kind of going apart. And I was like, suddenly I feel really unsafe. So um, the inner parent is the one that discerns. And then we have this third part, which is the idea of ourselves as a future abuelito or a future um, elder, right? A future ancestor, somebody that at some point is going to make their transition and will be remembered. And so when you bring all of these together, um, it's like a braid, right? So you're weaving these together. And the future ancestor also, you know, when we think about ancestry, it's not separate from the land, Right. So when you think about your lineage and, and when you bring in your ancestors to be able to develop this idea of yourself as an ancestor. Right. So this is why I'm like, oh, there's more than three parts, but I break it down in three parts. And then this last part includes connection to ancestry and connection to the land because the land is alive. Right. And the land is our eldest ancestor, um, which is still alive. And so that helps with the visioning. Right. So it's like when I close my eyes. Or when I, you know, look at the sun, for example, and I feel the warmth on my face, am I the only one in my lineage that has experienced this? Absolutely not, right? So this is something that connects me, right? And so this is a spiritual aspect too, because it's something that connects me, um, that anchors me, right, into this shared experience that we all have, right? Who hasn't felt that on their face? Who hasn't um, experienced a body of water right? who hasn't uh, laughed with a loved one like all of these universal experiences that we all have um, are something that I think that we can really intentionally build a vision for right mm -hmm. so the reconnection to the land um, the reconnection to one another and the reconnection to ourselves and so we've been there before right we have experienced this before and so the imagination comes when we say how do I want to use the fact that this has happened before and then integrate that into this idea of what the future can look like, mm. right? And I'm not saying like, we're going to get rid of computers and things, right? Where I'm not saying like, oh, we're going to, but there are ways of being that are so much more connected to one another um, that allow us to be more connected to one another and to the land and to, um, and to our children, honestly. And so that's really what I focus on. And the imagination sometimes will come in dreams Right. And so I, we do dream work in the reparenting course as well. And think about how to set intentions before we go to bed, right. To really think about what guidance can look like from that future abuelita self, you know, and ask questions and sometimes journal even from that perspective. Right? Wow. There's this really beautiful song called, um, uh, oh my gosh, I forget what it's called, but it goes, um, if I could talk to a younger, my younger self, 
I would tell her to go slow. And so it's just this idea of like, what would you tell yourself when you were younger? And knowing that you can, you can tell yourself that now because you are younger than one day you will be, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, that is so powerful. And it's, I'm so glad that you brought it up and, and kind of we're weaving it together. Cause you know, as I was listening to some of your former podcasts and interviews and um, I heard you, t- you know, you were talking about the reparenting work and, and actually it resonated so deeply with me that I started to like go through pictures, you know, cause I'm here at my family's house currently visiting and, and I'm like, I've got to find a little, you know, like a kid version of myself. I got to find the teen just so, you know, and creating the altar that you talked about, like yes. an altar for your inner Nina or, you know, Nino, whoever. And, um, and so I just, so I, and I love the connection to the land piece. Um, because when I think about, um, this, this decolonizing or the unlearning, whatever we want to call it. I mean, you know, again, that's like the buzzword today, but it's really just a uh, reclamation and, you know, kind of reclaiming our indigeneity. Um, and, and also not going back to the way things were, but integrating it, like how, what does it look like now? Right. Or what does it look like in, you know, again, seven generations forward, seven generations back. But when I think about that, it always comes back to the land and, um, you know, we heal the land, we heal, heal the people. Mm -hmm. And so many indigenous cultures, you know, live by that philosophy. And so I just love how that is, you know, clearly a core part of your work as well. And um, I, I guess, you know, I know you do a lot of this work, it's parenting. And so I'm guessing a lot of people you work with have children, but, you know, myself being someone who doesn't have children, um, but I'm a Thea to a lot <laughs> of, of uh, you know, boys and girls and, you know, all in between. And um, I, I feel that this work that you're doing applies for like, for people like me too, you know, I mean, even, even like you just shared this practice, this beautiful practice of a reparenting course how powerful that is for all of us because we do you know to go back and we always talk about the inner child but like until you were talking about it I didn't really think about that you know 15 year old me or you know and so that's just I just love that practice and I'm excited to dive deeper in myself personally (laughs) yeah yeah I say I'm like I think the you know Latinx parenting is like I'm trying to I am trying to work with parents and also I think a lot of people have seen the longer that they follow me, they're like, oh, you know, what you said, this applies to everybody. And I'm like, well, if you, if you really understand the framework, then you know that everybody has that part of themselves. And so anybody that you're encountering is operating from meeting a need um, that either feels really big because they're in their child version self in that moment, or, you know, has other needs. And so it's very simple, but it is very powerful. And it is a a different way to relate than what we've learned. And, um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to say about, um, oh oh my gosh, please edit this part out. (laughs) Like I lost it. I lost it, but it was really, it was really important. Hold on. It's okay. It'll come to you. It will flow. (laughs) Yeah, no, I just, you know, it really was just about, um, the fact that, you know, I was going to say blessed are the BS, I think, because mm-hmm. I think all of us are in one way or another responsible for children. Um, and I am so grateful, right, for my friends, my comadres, people who love my children. And I want, you know, and I love so many children. I'm like, 
almost like creepy sometimes in a way. I hope I'm not creepy to people, but I'm like, I will approach. I'll be like, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, like I do the same I, thing. So I understand yeah. the creepy vibes because I'm like, but I'm just like, I, I can pull the nurse card all the time and be like, I'm a nurse. It's okay. Let me yeah, think. I, I do the same. <laughs> I do. I work with parents. So I'm just yeah. I'm like, my general yeah. interest is to make sure that you are well. Yeah. I'm here, to help well. exactly. yeah. <laughs> I'm here to help. <laughs> Absolutely. But I would love, you know, I would have loved that. I think more often as I was a young mom is people being like, how are you doing? You know, and luckily I did. I, I started my own. I've always been very community oriented. And so whenever there's a need, I'm like, well, let me just go ahead and create this group or this space mm-hmm. because it's something that I'm needing. So that mm-hmm. means that someone else might be, might be needing it also. Um, and so, yeah, I would, I have a friend who's still my friend who was like, Hey, you stalked me like that. She was a neighbor of mine in the apartment complex where I lived back in 2011, 2012. And she was like, I was like, yeah, I, I, you know, I wanted to make sure you were okay. She's like, I'm so glad you did. Mm-hmm. She's like, cause it was such a lonely, isolating experience, except for the fact that you stalked me and then became my friend. And so I'm like, I'm just going to make sure that you are good, you know, yeah. and that you are supported and that you're well. And, and you're doing, I love that you're doing that so naturally because, you know, um, how much of this, this parenting, this kind of crisis that parents and families are experiencing right now, um, is a result of being so isolated and in this, um, illusion of a nuclear family model, right? When it's like, we come from tribe, we come from community, right? And, and so I think that like, I hope, I feel like a lot of parents are, are starting to feel into that more, but I definitely can, can say, you know, the families that I've, I've worked with over the years and, and, and the issues, um, that they're facing, they're so under-resourced and so strapped and there's so much, so much pressure. So like, thank goodness, thank goddess or whatever we want to call it for, you know, sisters like you who are showing up and being like, are you good? Like I'm, you know, because, because we really need that. And um, and, and I guess the, you know, I'm curious now to kind of like segue into the challenges that you're seeing with parents and, um, and, and all because I'm a little curious that when I see the children's side, like when I see the kids and I see kind of the struggles that they're dealing with, with their mental health, with, um, uh, you know, this lack of belonging, like lack of purpose. Although I will say a lot of young people are like so inspiring to me right now because I feel they are so tapped in and aware of what's going on and just like, and, and, and it's really beautiful. So I feel like we have such an opportunity, but I'm curious because I, I feel that a lot of this over, uh, like helicopter mom kind of like not letting your kid fail has, has really harmed a lot of children. And I feel it's greatly contributed to like, like they just don't have the capacity to deal with things when the shit hits the fan, you know? And so what are you seeing in your communities um, with the challenges like parents are facing and and kind of maybe some things that you guys are doing around supporting that need? Yeah. So um, I think parents honestly get the shit at end of the stick so many times, right? We are as you said, so under-supported. And I've said this before, I got actually a lot of pushback when I said this, but I said, I don't believe in bad parents. I believe in under-supported parents. I believe in stressed parents, right? The Mm -hmm. times that I have been my worst parent self have been the times where I'm so overwhelmed, where I'm so under-supported, where I'm so stressed out, where no one can just give me some space to breathe, right? And so Mm -hmm. I fully hold so much compassion for that experience for any parent. And I've learned over the years to not judge 
any parent, you know, right. even, I mean, there are terrible things that have happened to children and it's very difficult to not go into a place of judgment and, right. and, and rage um, for what's been done to children. And at the same time, I never want to be in a position where I dehumanize um, mm -hmm. anybody. Right. And that's really, really hard. <laughs> that's really, yes. really hard because yeah. we live in a culture of dehumanization. Yeah. So, yeah. um, and I think that's one of the challenges. Like, I think that parents, I remember my sister told me once, and I don't know if she would tell me this now, but years ago I was like, I need more help. And she was like, well, you chose to become a parent, you know, like you chose mm -hmm. this life. And I, she said it out loud, but I think that a lot of times people feel that way, you know, people, and it, I've had parent, uh, people who I know, friends of mine who've said, I had no idea how hard this was for you. Um, because I had children young, I was 24 when my daughter was born and my best friends are just having children now we're 36. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they're, they apologized actually. They said, I'm so sorry that I didn't show up for you more at wow. that time because now I'm seeing how hard it is and it's excruciating and I'm like yeah you know but that's why I'm here right I'm here to support you now and now I'm like an elder to them in this parenting um world I guess that they're entering right. and yeah there's a lot of hardship I think it just depends also on on what resources you have right in my community there are people that are struggling with access to housing um access to you know, healthy foods, right? There's freaking McDonald's on every corner and Starbucks on every corner. <laughs> like literally on my corner, on one corner, there is a McDonald's and the other corner um, is a Starbucks. And oh. so we're in, you know, the closest health food store is like so many miles away. You have yeah. to drive, right? And so um, I can't shame parents, right? For the choices that we make when we're in survival and then we have to see the disparity also because there are other communities that are so much more well resourced and that is also by design right, right. that is very much by design right. and so what I've been doing I think in the last over a year now thanks to my partner Fernando who's he's a community organizer and he's an educator um you may have seen me on Instagram he comes in every now and then yeah and and I did see that you guys are doing the uh brown fatherhood ser series right which yes. is amazing and definitely want to touch on that too soon yeah. but yeah he's a, an amazing just human all around but he um and I'm not what a power a power couple you guys are thank you <laughs> someone was like you're the power to the people couple and I was like I love that but yeah. I had it like I had not been to a city council meeting until he brought me yeah to one, you yeah. know and I was like oh okay like actually mm -hmm. it's my work with the parents directly but it's also being able to use your voice and show up and say hey I need these conditions improved otherwise I cannot be at ease enough to parent in these ways and I deserve to be able to be at ease enough to parent in these ways and to have access to the things that I need um, and so again a lot of the disempowerment as you said right um, shows up in our communities and it's very difficult to parent when you're disempowered and you don't have the skills, the tools, the information, the time, the privilege, the space to reflect. Absolutely. Um, it's very, very hard. I think for any parent, but again, we're, we're dealing with class, right? We're dealing with yeah. access to those things. Um, and so I think from being with him, I've noticed how important it is to address those things. Um, for parents. And that's another part of the intersectionality that I don't actually see very much in the parenting world. I mean, yeah, 100%. That was something that I actually, that was 
resonating so deeply deeply with me um with your work is is your calls to action um in the community for people to show up in their communities and to use their voice and not just to use your voice in this performative way by uh, posting on social media but to actually show up like who are your represent elected officials who are these representatives do you know their name um show up to these meetings and and the thing is not everyone has like you like you said the privilege and ability to do that but in community everyone doesn't have to do it and i think that if we start figuring that out um you know that like if like gathering around i mean and this has been happening for you know generations right where not it's not the majority of people who start a revolution or you know actually carry forth a revolution and like over turn over power it's like consistency and it's a few dedicated people that can show up to be the voice for the collective. And I just love that you guys are doing that. Cause I remember, I remember you did post something like uh, you posted a few times, you know, you guys are in the meetings and you're recording and it's like, yes, this is where um, that intersectionality, that, that importance of um, political engagement. And this is where we can feel empowered again to, I mean, if it's small things like, um, you know, in the community I was living in, in the Bay Area, like during COVID, I remember they they wanted to cut the library hours and it was like they, the library is already underfunded and they wanted to give that money to the police to give them a new car. And <laughs> like, what the heck's going on here? So um, a bunch of us organized to show up to the city council meeting and give testimony on the importance of the library and especially with like the schools being closed and all of the programs that in this and that. They can, and you know everybody did it. The and then the the count city city council member who had voted to do that like changed his vote, and and so it really does show that the power is in the people, you know. But um, so thank you for that because that to me is um, what I one of the things I respect so much about the, and and also the fact that you're a professional, like you're not just some like online influencer that's you know toting around, you know, like. Um, whatever the phrase is for the day, but you're a, you are a professional. Like, you know, you have these, you have dual degrees and child development and, and family, family life education. You know, you're getting your master's in social work. Like you are a professional that's bridging the community. And, and so that work is so needed. So thank you and your partner for that, because like, that's where we really can start to empower the people to be like, no, we don't want another McDonald's here. We don't want another Starbucks here. We want a farmer's market. We want, want a community garden. Community garden. Yeah. yeah. Like we want to grow our own food. Exactly. Like, and, and so these things are happening, you know, like throughout, throughout the state, which, um, but you know, these are the stories that need to be highlighted more. Yeah. You know, cause yeah. we're just projected like, again, all of these, these horrible things happening, but there's so many wins, you know? Yeah, yeah there are. Um, and it's bit by bit, you know, I feel like I get really frustrated sometimes when I see my city council specifically, like the mayor in my city specifically. And I'm like, we're like, okay, who's going to run against the mayor? <laughs> you know, like, and you look around and it's like, well, it's limited, right? Like people have to, we have, we have so much work to do for us to have like so many people that would be really beautiful replacements for this mayor. Um, and I think sometimes like there's another educator, her name is Julie Lycott, Lycott Hames. Um, and she's, running for office in her city. I forget exactly where it is, but like, yeah, some of us get really sick of everything that we're witnessing and we feel like we don't have a choice, but to take the lead, Yeah, you know, and that's so, usually um, the best leaders come from that. 
best leaders, the best leaders ever that were actually for the people, they weren't like, okay, I'm going to just run for office now. Right. It was like, no, actually they, like you just said, they had to, you know, or they were like, or they were pushed in the communities. Like, okay, this, like, actually I see you being a mayor. So so I, just, I don't, I don't know if I want to be about that life genuinely, right. like that's right. really, really tough, And but it would be something that I would honor so much. Right. And so I, this is yeah. what I'm seeing around the country is that there's leaders that are not honoring their leadership. Right. Right. Um, and I don't see it as a sacred role, right. Like as a practice, as something that they were gifted. Right. Right. They see it as something that they can exploit. Right. And, and then it, and they're entitled. Yes. That, and know. so it's this, you know, this idea of power, right? It goes back to this idea of power and um and power dynamics. And this is actually why I love working with the parent-child dynamic because it's the most basic of the power dynamics, right? You the way that you raise children can be applied to any <laughs> any power dynamic. That's um, so and so true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the mayor, right? Like you see, if you think about her as the parent of the city. Um, and you have a mayor that is not letting her constituents speak, that is going out of her way. And I'm not going to go on like too much of a rant about this mayor, but she's just an example of like so many other right. mayors out there um, that is going out of their way to silence their constituents and to not let them be heard. Um, that's something that, you know, if you were a parent, that wouldn't that wouldn't really be OK to do to your child. Right. And so um yeah, I think. Well, and it makes sense that. that we're just, we are, I mean, to what you're saying about these parents, not only can it be applied, but it actually is, as you're saying that, like, aren't we just repeating these um, dynamics anyway, right? So like this mayor woman, like she's just repeating the dynamics of her parents. Mm-hmm. And so actually she's really showing us a lot about her own unhealed. Oh, it's all there. It's, it's all, all there, Diana. <laughs> I tell Fernanda when we go, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I see all the, like, I see the little girl in her. Yeah. I see the boy and him. I'm yeah. just like, they're just so, there's so many wounds. <laughs> yeah. And, but there's so many wounds that they have now become absorbed into the system, right? It's yeah. like, you have not dealt with the things that you need to deal with and you have been made vulnerable to right. be absorbed by that system. And so right. um, it's, it's tragic. It's actually really tragic to witness. Yeah. And, and, and even like this idea of you becoming the next mayor, which now I have in my mind, um, is something that I feel the way that we go about, I mean, and again, it's not like a new concept, but really like creating coalitions where, and, and like, um, actual tickets of people, right. Where, where it's not just, okay, we're not banking just on Leslie. Cause okay. If Leslie doesn't get in, we have, you know, Fernando, we have this person, we have this person and really just overtaking the whole thing. I mean, that's, that's the way that I feel, um, is kind of the only way to truly infiltrate because now, because we see all of these politicians that, um, have just completely have been captured and then, you know, they go in and they say all the right things and then they're on office and then, you know, look at, look at what's happening now. Right. A lot of them are revealing themselves with what's happening with this genocide in Gaza. So it's like, um, how can we, ensure that people don't become captured in that way well it's by making sure that we have other people that are going to be holding them accountable there you know so so it is such an important so so it is such an important part of this next phase that we're moving into as a collective is really understanding like you said our responsibility in showing up and not everybody's going to be the mayor not everybody's going to be able to make every meeting but 
that's what, where the community comes in. So. Yeah. Yeah. And having elders, like I think for me has been so necessary, but I've noticed also because of the way that I have been parented that whenever I feel like I am in challenge, it's not super intuitive and easy for me to go to my elders, right. And to be held accountable because I feel shame and I feel like I'm in trouble. And I feel like that little yeah. girl again, that's like, Oh no, I did something wrong. Or maybe, yeah. you know, it's bad to be confused. It's bad to not know. Um, and so I have to be very hyper aware of those wounds in myself too, when I'm not immidiately going to elders and most of these leaders don't have elders in that way right? and they most just... of, they don't know how to be elders like you just yeah. nailed it right now like these I mean I hate to say I mean this boomer generation who which got us here in the first place like first and yeah. foremost um it's funny my dad this is a side note but not really my dad my dad and I were having a conversation about this and he really said Ijita, you know I'm sorry we really screwed things up for you guys like, and coming from my father, you know, oh, he recognized like well, our, our generation, not him personally, but, you know, and so that, first of all, like there needs to be this recognition that like, they don't know how to be elders. And so why would we go to them? But there are a few, there are a few, I think, cause like our generation, I feel like is in this, this moment where we, we know we've got to do some stuff, right? We've got some shadow work to do. We're doing the healing work and everything. And, and, um, how do we do that? How do we bridge the generations? You know, like, cause we do need this multi-generational community to this organism to, to thrive. And so I, I know a couple of like, you know, older, older women who, and I always see the women coming to it first, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised, but, but you're right. It's kind of like, I understand why you would feel that because it's like, we don't, we haven't had eldership in our culture yeah. Not at all. So it's like, yeah. where do we go? Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, somebody said to me once, they're like, there's olders and there's elders. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. like, unfortunately, because of systemic trauma and the things that have been imposed upon our families, a lot of our family members have grown to become olders and not necessarily elders, right? Mm -hmm. I find myself having to tend to my mom's wounds sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And and having to have patience for that, um, knowing that in some ways I'm her elder, right? And having to like accept that responsibility sometimes, um, which is really hard, which is why therapy, you know, <laughs> like there's, there are things that need to, uh, there are needs that need to be met for me in order for me to show up in that way for her. But I'm very conscious of, because of the framework, the reparenting framework of the fact that you know, every moment is bringing me closer to this idea of myself as the elder that I want to be for my community. Um, and so hopefully this is all changing, right? Hopefully the the more people do this um, healing work and grief work and liberation work, the more we can kind of start to, again, just anchor ourselves in that vision of who we're becoming. And I really, truly believe that we will evolve, you know, in ways that are more whole um, and more aligned with our sacredness, which is the truth. Mm -hmm. mm, that's so beautiful. And, and I, um, what came through as you were saying that I just wrote it down is like this idea of reparenting the collective, mm -hmm. right? Because that's essentially what we're, we're doing and what you're doing, you know, it's, um, reparenting the collective so that we can remember how to be, um, responsible stewards of this land and of, of our sacred role here with each other. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's so, it's so necessary. Um, 
and how powerful when we start to heal that can we then be sure we're on the path of being the elders for our children you know um because they are just I mean these kids they're on another I mean you know (laughs) like they are so incredibly smart and aware and just I really it's such a gift for me like the reason I even chose to be a pediatric nurse is because it just gave me permission to be a kid all the time. Not all the time, but you know, I could just play and like just that, even that essence of play, like how can we bring more play into our life? And, and I love something that you said, um, you know, that I, I heard you say in a conversation about um, collective care with children mm-hmm. and, and really them being like these collaborators with us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how, like, what does that look like? And, and cause I mean, I see, I know that like when I see some other, some parents and the way that they interact with their children, I find myself getting triggered and I like as a witness and, and being like, Oh my God, like, well, how could you talk to your child that way? Yeah. And then having to find again, that place of compassion, like you were saying to yeah. not be judging. Um, but like how, what does it look like for our children to be collaborators with us and co-creators? Yeah, that's been something that I've just recently, I think, seen the fruits of more and more. Um, so from the very beginning, when my daughter was born, I I tried my best to do things. I didn't have language around this at the time. I practiced attachment parenting. That's what I thought it was, right? Attachment parenting. You wear your baby, you keep your baby close, you respond to your baby's needs. I'm like, oh, actually, this is indigenous parenting. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> right? And it has been co-opted by like this Western lens of calling it attachment parenting and so it's all helpful I'm you know I'm grateful to have walked into that door um but I think what I'm seeing now is that my daughter actually has a willingness to collaborate right so she will come out this is what it looks like to me right now she will come out and she will ask me mom do you need help with anything you know and I'm like oh my gosh I would never (laughs) when I was a 12 year old like right because I was afraid of my mom at that time like I had a lot of fear around being in that same environment with her and so it tells me that she feels safe and I think that kids will want to collaborate when they experience that safety to be able to um and so I'm seeing you know the fruits of that now I think one of the things that um has been something to navigate because she's also a reflection of me so sometimes when I get triggered by her when I get activated it's it's me you know it's actually not her at all Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. And so if she has feedback for me about my behavior, you know, that's a point of collaboration that I've always tried to invite also. It's not always easy to receive that um, because it requires accountability and it requires me to get very real. But I think that's what it's looking like for me with the 12 year old, Um, with my younger ones you know, they participate as much as, as much as they can. There have been times where like, I'm in the kitchen and they're like, let me help. And I'm like, I really don't want you to help. Cause you're going to crack this egg all over the counter. And yeah. you know, but I'm like, uh, but I'm like, okay, we'll try, you know, and actually yeah. they surprise me and they're like, Oh, I'm like, Oh, okay. Like you can do this. And so a lot of it is just like that reflection that we need to have with ourselves to be like, why am I afraid of the spill right now? You yeah. Know? Like, what, what is, and so that mental preparation um, to allow them to be collaborators and to allow them to contribute um, is a big part of it. And so, yeah, but I think again, safety uh, in the connection with a parent is going to 
likely produce kids that are willing to help, right? And so that's been another another big word, I think, in my household is like, are you willing to help? You know, is there a willingness mm-hmm. on your part? Because mm-hmm. I truly believe that each of us are sovereign um, and to just come and bark orders, like I'm not necessarily asking for your participation or your collaboration. I'm telling you what you need to do. And there are times, right? There are times where I'm just like, hey, like I need to wash dishes and like you are responsible for putting away the clean dishes. So like, I would really like for you to do that um, in this moment, if possible, (laughs) right? And she'll be like, and she'll be like, okay. Or she'll say, you know, give me five minutes and then I have to do that dance with her, right? So. Well, it um, sounds like in that, in that situation, like you, you have already created like an agreement with her, right? So you guys have established an agreement that she's responsible for putting away the dishes when the dishes get done. And then it's beautiful that you give her for five minutes to do what she needs to do and prepare for that. But there's already an established agreement rather than you just being like, come here, do the dishes. And, you know, like the barking of the, like where you have no um, sovereignty or say, or, you know, freedom really like, and, and that's a totally, even that dynamic you described, like that is a totally different dynamic than the, the parenting that I experienced and, you know, my, my siblings and, and my family as well. And, and what a beautiful like shift. And, and, and then, you know, it's just, I love that. It's thank you for providing that example. It's like, it's really cool to, to know that, um, that parents are out there really trying to collaborate with their kids and yeah. break the, these cycles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's on my friend, Nikolai, she's uh, raising readers on Instagram and she's, she and I kind of share like the joys. I was talking to another friend of mine about this also, but we, as parents, um, I think there's a conditioning that like, you know, all oh, these kids, you know, like, oh, these kids, like, and that's valid sometimes, but also I think that we can really relish in having like a beautiful relationship with our kids, you know, and like the things that I've been able to see that have come from my children because I've done my own work have made me so joyful to be in relationship with these people, right? It's not just me as a mom being in relationship with this kid. It's me as a person being in relationship with this person, Um, And there's so much joy and there's so much nourishment that comes from that for me. And so I think, you know, that's something that I really want to share with parents is like, there's so much beauty um, that can emerge from this, from, from healing those power dynamics through the parent child dynamic um, and relationship has been really, yeah, really powerful to decolonize my parenting in, in a way that, you know, I can apply everywhere else too. Yes. Wow. That's so beautiful. So many nuggets here and uh, pearls of wisdom that you're dropping um, in the show with us. So I feel like we could keep talking and I know, but to honor your time, <laughs> and I, I, I would love to keep talking with you. And uh, again, um, in the invitation stands for when the book or whenever you want to come back and let's keep flowing. Um, but definitely when, when you are finished with the book and ready to release, we would love to have you back um, for that for that, uh, show. And, um, and I will share in the notes of the show, like where people can find you, but just off, off the top of your head, you know, what are some, what's the easiest way for people to get in touch with you and follow your work? Yeah. So they can go to our website and when they go, uh, there will be a little like invitation to subscribe. So if people want to stay up to date with any offerings that I'm sharing, um, that's a really good way to do it, to subscribe to our newsletter. 
and then Instagram as well. Although the shadow banning is very real lately. So I don't know how much of me you'll actually see, but it's worth a follow. Um, There's a lot of, uh, you know, Palestine and activism currently. um, But, you know, all of that is very much connected with our parenting. I just held a couple of groups called Parenting While Witnessing Genocide that were really beautiful. And so Mm. a lot of the the challenges that I heard that parents are experiencing um, are soothed a lot by the community, just knowing that you're not alone knowing that you have other people there that want to hold it with you yeah, um, has been really beautiful. So I encourage folks to follow and, you know, every now and then I'll be like, I feel like holding this space and, and then people come, which is really nice. So I encourage that. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for hold, being a space holder and a healer and healing, really healing the healers, you know, and um, caregivers. Cause I, I know that that's if parents are caregivers and healers. Right. And, and, and also you doing your own work um, before and, you know, throughout your raising your or having your children um, has allowed you to really show up um, as a leader for those, those in the community that, you know, aren't, aren't quite there yet, or, you know, like maybe their kids are older and, and really just uh, creating a space for, for everyone. So thank you for your work, Leslie. I'm so grateful to have had you on the show again, selfish. You know, I would love to keep going, but um, but I know that this is just uh, the beginning of of more beautiful conversations with you. So, um, so Latinx therapy, not therapy. I said Latinx parenting. No, but that's a good resource too. But, I do want to say that's I'm a like, good Adriana, one. Adriana is great. I'm like, if yeah. anybody wants like you know a culturally centered therapist, I would go to Latinx therapy. That's a great resource. Yeah, and and on your website, you guys also have under the mental health tab. I know that you have a, a list of therapists there um, that, that look all look amazing. So, uh, just so many rich, rich, rich resources on your website alone, and then Latinx parenting on Instagram as well. So yes. follow, um, and connect with Leslie and support the work that she's doing. And, um, we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Anna, and thank you so much for your work too. It's amazing. Thank, thank you. you Ooh, wow. All right. Well, Thank you again, Leslie, for sharing your potent medicine with all of us. And I highly recommend everyone out there connect with Leslie's work. I'm going to put all of her links, her social media, her website, everything in the show notes. Um, But again, connect with Latinx Parenting Organization and get involved in your community. Start seeing how you can support the parents, the families in your community, the children in your community. How can we show up for the children? And how can we be co-creators with them and collaborators with them? Because they really need us right now and they have a lot to share, a lot to offer. We can learn so much for them. So thank you again, Leslie, for your amazing and incredible work. You're an inspiration to all of us. And we'll see you next time.